Brew Strong is brought to you by morebeer.com, where a man can brew like a man. for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Sainashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy, hey, my Bruin brothers and sisters. Greetings, cretins. <laughs> Back for another episode of John Funny Man Palmer. <laughs> and, uh, I'm the rock of this show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Okay. All right. Uh, and uh, we, uh, we're having a good time here in the studio today. We really are. Yeah. yeah. You're trying a bunch of beers from New Zealand. Yep. This one doesn't have the the fruitiness of some of the hops that I've tasted yeah. from most uh, beers from New Zealand, right? Yeah. yeah. Harrington's uh, Classy Red. This is an American pale ale. We're fine Brewers of fine beers and ales since 1991. Served chilled. Yeah. No, I'd serve it hot. <laughs> it's tasty. Yeah. Yeah. How do you like Studio B, Palmer? I like it a lot. It's uh, bright and airy. Doesn't smell like dogs. <laughs> it, uh, Yet. <laughs> It smells like ass. Yeah, no. that's yeah, it's, what the it's, it's rat pad smells like. It that's, suits you. You look good in here, Palmer. <laughs> well, we I, designed I, the light right for you. <laughs> yeah, your pale, pasty complexion <laughs> really, really brightens yeah. up in here. Yeah, yeah. really. Uh, put a, put a, seems almost natural <laughs> instead of put, death-like. Put an oyster in a in a bright room and it looks like an oyster in a dark room. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh! Well. Ah, uh, I don't want to keep our guests waiting. I mean, we, you know, today is full of uh, you know great guests. We actually earlier did uh, uh, a couple of shows, two and a half hours with Dr. Charles Bamforth. Yeah. You know, absolutely wonderful. And uh, we've got another special guest lined up today, uh, AJ Delang. AJ, how you doing today? Just Andy. How are you guys? We're great. All right. Well, aren't and- you tired? <laughs> no, no, not too much. Because you've been taking on fuel. Yep. <laughs> right, right. We're, great, to, we're, great to have you on the show. We're, we're hey, great up. to be on. Thanks. Well, and, and AJ, we were talking, uh, you know, before the, the show started, we were talking about your your background and and your bio and uh, what what uh, uh, declassified information can you tell us about your uh, your uh, your <laughs> career, <laughs> your yeah. career, and your uh, uh, your education and, and and what have you? Well, okay. Uh, I was an electrical engineer for many years and retired just a little over a year ago. And man, is this great! And spent full time <laughs> on thinking about making, drinking, analyzing beer, and uh, going on radio shows. <laughs> um, I worked um, around the Beltway here in the, in the Northern Virginia area for what forty some years, forty five years, um, working mostly for the intelligence community. That's about all I can say. And um, specializing in you know the scientific end of it, not uh, you didn't kill people with a, uh, no, with no, a ballpoint no, pen. No. Well, he can't uh, talk no. about it even no, if he did. No. <laughs> just just help raise the intelligence of the community. 
<laughs> it was the uh, you know, purely the technical side, the electrical engineering side, uh, communication, signals analysis, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, and retirement's and better. Yeah. <laughs> Don't I know it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you do. Camille. I try not to talk about it among people that are. You know, still in the thick of it. <laughs> right. But right. You'll, you'll get there. You'll they, get there. They just get annoyed. Um, exactly. Uh, well, uh, and, and in the, the uh, brewing community, uh, not just the homebrew community, but in the professional uh, brewing community, uh, for example, uh, Dr. Banforth, he, you uh, recently submitted a paper that he, he, was, uh, he mentioned uh, to us uh, while he was here. He was, he was uh, very patient. Yeah, he, you know, and uh, you know, a lot of people know about you and and your uh, your ability to uh, really get ultra geeky about this stuff. Well, somebody has to do it. <laughs> Somebody's got to dig in, huh? And you guys don't do too badly either. That's <laughs> why so I, I got Palmer here, so that 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 helps. Uh, me, I'm yeah, I drink beer, look pretty. That's that's pretty much my role here in the studio. <laughs> well, you got the beer part down. Sounds pretty through the headphones. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Well, and today, uh, you know, AJ, you you helped us with the uh, the BJCP color guide. I don't know if anybody has seen that. Uh, I'm sure a lot of our listeners have. There, there are BJCP judges out there, and every BJCP judge was supposed to get one of those color guides. And the the challenge was, uh, you know, there have been color guides out before put on uh, like an acetate where, uh, you know, you could. Uh, you know, there was light going through this thing instead of just reflective light, reflected light uh, to to represent the color, and uh, that was a real challenge. And when uh, the idea came up, you know, how do we make a really cheap, you know, color guide that we can send out to everybody that's still accurate and useful? Well, first person I turned to was AJ, <laughs> and I said, "Hey, you know, you got to help us out because you know a lot about uh, beer color and 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 analyzing color and all this." and uh, uh, we had AJ. We had uh, a good friend of mine, Chad Stevens, from down in San Diego. He helped with the printing, and uh, Joe Formneck was on the group. But uh, <clears throat> that was that convinced me right there that you are um, amazing in your ability to uh, to uh, analyze data and, and think about uh, you know the this aspect of beer and, and many other aspects as well. But that's why I wanted to get you on uh, on with uh, us on Bruce Strong. So. Well, I keep ranting and ranting along here. You know, the the beer is starting to catch up with me. <laughs> well, <Wow. laughs> I wanted to talk about uh, beer color, and I really want to understand you know, where it comes from. You know, how it's why determined, can't we measure why, it? Yeah. You know, why why can't you or can you measure it? You know, and and just that whole project brought more questions to me than answers. I think. <laughs> So, so that's why you're here. And let me let me start off with uh, the simple thing. You know, and, and I bet you it's not that easy to answer. What is beer color, and why do we worry about it, AJ? Well, the the easy part I think is why we worry about it. And uh, Charlie alluded to it in the first hour. So I wrote down his quote: "You drink with your eyes." So, as with any other food, I think the uh, appearance of beer is a, is a very large part of the experience. Um, and, uh, you know, if you were given a deep amber Kolsch, told it was a Kolsch, the guy put it in front of you on the bar, he'd say, well, this isn't a Kolsch. Um, you know, Charlie talked about if you were given an extremely 
turbid lager. Uh, when you weren't expecting it, that would be disquieting. You know, blue mashed potatoes, very pale Guinness, just doesn't seem right. And I think uh, another part of it is is the, uh, and I think this came out in the early part of your show, um, brand recognition. A lot of people that are the antithesis of the way we approach beer uh, want exactly the same thing every time. And he told the story of a, a, a beer where they cleaned up the turbidity and the consumers didn't like it. And there's a famous story about uh, Rolling Rock that the, the buyer cleaned up the... Uh, DMS and uh, the sales dropped in half. <laughs> uh, I think it'd be very much the same if uh, you know Bud Light came out even one SRM unit darker. Well, I, I'm, I imagine we're going to be talking about SRM units pretty extensively here. Even one unit darker, I think the consumers would would uh, say that's not right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Something's the, wrong with this beer. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. the beer color guidelines uh, all have a band of of colors, and I think we all. Expect that uh, a sample of beer in that particular style is going to be within that particular color band, and if it isn't, we knock off points as judges. Mm-hmm. Now, what was the first part of the question? Where does the color come from? Or you know, what is the co- what, what is what, color? Yeah, what, you, <laughs> what, what is color? <laughs> what is color? Well, what maybe maybe you know you know more about how we. Uh, specify beer color. I mean, you know, we talk about it, uh, most people will talk about it as, oh, it looks like, you know, kind of straw, or it looks like amber, or it looks, you know, uh, it's black or brown, you know, common terms for color. But uh, there's a, a different way of measuring color, right? Absolutely. And the uh, question you guys didn't ask me is how I got interested in this. Oh, and okay. part of the reason there is because I'm colorblind. So, uh, descriptions like pale amber with uh, a hint of red really kind of fall short on me. So, uh, uh-huh. and by the way, I just comment that John Dalton, who was uh, the uh, probably the guy that kicked off color science, was interested in it for the same reason. So in Europe, they call colorblind people Daltonians, but um, <laughs> people with normal vision and even people with with abnormal vision perceive color as stimulus to three different kinds of receptors in, in the eye. Uh, you know, we all have rods and cones, and the, the rods are, are uh, require more light to activate, but they come in three subtypes responsive to red, green, and blue light, whereas the cones are, are used for vision um, in the shadows. You, you see sort of a, a gray there. You can't perceive color if it's too dim. So what color really is, as we perceive it, is the relative stimulus of these three types of sensors. And uh, what we see when we look at a beer glass, we hold it up to light. I mean, almost it's, it's ridiculous to talk about trying to perceive beer color by reflected light. So by transmitted light, what hits each of those three receptors depends on how the light that you're using to look at the beer with is distributed. If it's an old tungsten light bulb, it's going to put out a heck of a lot more red light than uh, green light and blue light. Um, if you're holding it against the northern sky, it's going to be a lot more blue than red and so on. And your eye tends to compensate for that to some extent, but it's still a factor. And then the other part of the equation, of course, is how much of each kind of light, each wavelength of light, 
um, the beer absorbs as the light passes through it. And that depends on the uh, concentration of light-absorbing materials within the beer and the length of the path uh, through which the light has to pass. So that um, a 200-milliliter Kohlstange uh, of Kolsch looks pale yellow, but if you fill it into a Krugmas, which my wife does, despite my attempts to try <laughs> to get her to use the correct glass, um, you know, she'll, she'll carry it in, into the room, and I said, what's, what's that? Because the Kolsch is her favorite. It doesn't look like Kolsch. It looks much darker. Well, that's because it's a much much thicker path in that, uh, in that Krug mass. So uh, then there are other more subtle effects, like, believe it or not, how close to your eye you hold it. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the it, well, that's a nuance that I don't think we need to get into. Well, and how much you've had to drink, right? So. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. All right, why don't we do this? Why don't we take a, uh, a short break, and when we come back, why don't you um, think about how color is specified, what what, what units we use to, to measure. And, uh, Can do. Okay, we'll be back right after this. Smart. Brew Strong. This is Brew Strong. This holiday season is one of gratitude, giving, and winning. More Beer says thank you to all their wonderful customers with deals from Thanksgiving through New Year's, in addition to low prices, free shipping, and the More Beer deal of the day every day. And one lucky customer is going to win Regan's Big Fat Package, the very first More Beer pressurizable conical fermenter. Rolling out just in time for the holidays, it's their brand new redesigned stainless conical line with a new threadless racking port, new stand options, and a new pressurizable lid. They're giving away one of these new pressurizable conicals on December 31st. For every order you place with more beer between November 1st and December 31st, use the coupon code CONICAL up to once every day to enter yourself into the drawing. Go to morebeer.com for more details. The 2009 More Beer season of winning. Win yourself some great deals and maybe even a brand new conical fermenter. Enter today only at morebeer.com. Downtown Joe's, located in the historic Oberon Building in beautiful downtown Napa, California, offers an award-winning brew pub experience from 8.30 a.m. to 1 a.m. every day. For 15 years at the corner of 2nd and Main, Downtown Joe's has been voted Best Night Spot seven times and Best Brew Pub for the last four years in a row. Brewmaster Colin Kaminsky's handcrafted ales, like his Tailwagon Amber Ale and Catherine the Great Imperial Stout, are the perfect accent to riverside dining, live music, and a relaxing outdoor patio. 
Don't miss the Beer of the Month, special rotating taps, and happy hour all day Mondays. Visit downtownjoes.com to make reservations, peruse their extensive calendar of events, or just read more about their fantastic beers. Come enjoy the fine beer, food, and music. Downtown Joe's, the award-winning brew pub where you'll feel at home. Hilo, what's it feel like? Take awesome and multiply it by two. Yeah! <laughs> Spraying live beer radio all over your face. <laughs> Can't get any better than this, baby. <laughs> it's the Brewing Network. Like the Lance Armstrong of the beer world. Except for that nut thing. This is Brew Strong. back. We're speaking with uh, A.J. DeLang, uh, one of the uber beer geeks that I know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, John Palmer knows. Yeah. Yeah, John bows down to you as uh, as oh, an yeah. uber uber geek as far as uh, oh, well. many oh, things. Yeah, whenever I have a question, I go rummaging through my hard drive looking for your papers. It's like, what did A.J. say about that? <laughs> yeah. That is a new level of geekiness if John Palmer right. uh, refers exactly. to you. Yeah. <laughs> well, Thanks, guys, but Charlie Bamforth is a hard act to follow. That's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would, I, I wouldn't want to follow him, but I think you, you can uh, definitely handle it. All right, so let's get back to to, to color. Um, okay, how's it measured? I think, yeah, was what you guys were interested in at this point. Well, I figured that question would be asked, so I kind of made a list and I came up with seven ways that I'm aware of, and wow. there've probably been others. Um, you know, obviously. In uh, in the early days, uh, it was done by visual comparison, which is got a lot of problems associated with it. But it was the best they have had. So I think the first thing they did was compare beer to iodine, and it, the colors are sort of similar. Um, kind of reddish brown based, huh? Yeah, yeah, they're they're similar in the in the fact that they absorb. Uh, a whole lot of light at the blue end of the spectrum and very little at the uh, at the red end, orange and red end. Uh, so what they did was uh, make up a tenth normal solution of iodine and they put 100 milliliters of distilled water in a tube next to the beer sample, hold it up to a north window, that's the color of the light, quality as we mentioned before the break, influences what you see. And then they would add uh, bits of uh, this test normal iodine to the solution until it matched as best it could, as best they could make the match, the beer. And the number of milliliters of the iodine solution they added uh, was what they called the color of the beer. And uh, I just uh, did an experiment this morning to see what the correspondence would be in it. Looks like one milliliter of iodine solution corresponds to about 9.6 SRM. Um, that, if you try to compare beer to iodine, I have a terrible time with it because of the color line. You guys might find uh, it easy. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it, it's, it's uh, the way we'd want to work, and we don't have to, of course, in, in the modern era. But the next uh, next attempt was the, the brand scale. Uh, you can set that up if you keep uh, Victoria Yellow, Patent Blue, Fast Brown, and Bordeaux, whatever those are, their dyes. Mix them up with uh, alcohol solution, make a bunch of dilutions of 
specified uh, strengths and look to see which one of those best matches the beer in a tube held up to north light. And the various dilutions are calibrated in units of, of iodine, actually. Um, then we come to uh, Joseph Lovemond, whom I think we've all heard of. He was actually a brewer. And uh, he had apparently noticed that beers in a certain color range were, in his opinion at least, the best beers. Hmm. So he tried to find a uh, more scientific or more repeatable or more mechanized way, I guess you might want to think of it. Or actually probably the big uh, advantage of what he wanted to do was get away from the solutions, which uh, change color over time, if uh, the ingredient varied, you got differences in color, and so on. So he came up with the idea of using colored glasses. Now, you probably remember from grammar school, or if you've messed with photography, this business of primary colors, you know, the color wheel with red, green, and blue, 120 degrees apart uh, around a circle, and uh, yellow, magenta, and cyan. That's what the uh, the photographers, or what the uh, the technical, the engineers uh, call those colors. Artists have different names for them. Oh, I can't remember which corresponds to which, but uh, uh, anyway, he came up with the concept of having tinted glasses of red, yellow, and the blue, uh, which were just uh, glass doped with uh, gold for the red, chromium for the yellow, and cobalt for the blue, and adjusted their strengths so that if you put three of the weakest on top of one another, you got kind of a neutral and if you put uh, a stack, you know, two of the same strength of yellow with two of the same strength of blue and two of the same strength of red, stacked all those up, you got a neutral. And uh, of all this uh, scale, which is still in use today, um, but actually there are several Lovabond scales out there depending on, on what you're looking at. Hmm. So apparently the way the procedure works is uh, for the beer scale, the scale we as brewers call the Lovabond scale, the uh, red and uh, blue glasses are fixed, and you vary the yellow ones until you get the best color match. In this case, the the tubes are held in an instrument, which also has these uh, little glass slides in them. Now, that's that's what a a Lovabond tintometer used to look like, a modern Lovabond tintometer is actually a photometer, so they're doing what the modern folks do and, and measuring the absorption spectrum and then converting that through some math to uh, to the Lovabond units. And exactly what that conversion is, I assumed I'd be asked, well, how do you convert between Lovabond and SRM and EBC? And the answer is, I don't know, because mm-hmm. it's a little a little vague. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, Lovabond 52 scale is the one that seems to be talked about all the time. The best information I can give you, with, well, I'll give you two pieces of information with respect to that. One is that when the SRM scale, which we'll be getting to next, was evolved, one of the criteria for it was that it would match the Lovabond scale. So that says Lovabond and SRM are the same or about the same or the same for light beers and you'll see those statements made in various places on the other hand if you go to Wireman's website uh, they have a table of uh, EBC color versus Lovabond 
And if you plot the points in that table and do a, a linear fit, you get a dead straight line that's just right on. And uh, since SRM and EBC are, are related by a constant, um, you can come up with a relationship between uh, SRM and love of bond, which is 1.35 times love of bond minus 0.76 equals SRM. Obviously, you got a problem at zero love of bond, but everywhere else it, it seems to work. Hmm. Okay, so um, the, the love of bond of the, the original tintometer, and that company is still in business and they still make the instruments. <laughs> uh, but as I said, they're photometers now. So around 19, well, just after the war, uh, the ASB was looking for something that was less subjective, in other words, an instrumental method that didn't require having north winter light or perfect color vision, and uh, and that would um, match the, uh, the Lovemont scale to the extent that they could uh, achieve that. So after some uh, experimentation, these guys named Miller and Stone came up with uh, the following definition. Beer color intensity on a sample free of turbidity and having the spectral characteristics of an average beer is ten times the absorbance of the beer measured in a one-half-inch cell with monochromatic light of wavelength 430 nanometers. So, to, to restate that a little more simply, you put a sample of beer in one-half-inch cell, you shine 430 nanometers light, which is pretty deep blue, through it, and you measure the ratio of what came out to what came in, take the logarithm of that ratio, and multiply by 10. So nobody uses half-inch cells and spectrometers anymore. They're all one centimeter, and the definition therefore changes to 12.7 times the uh, absorbance in, uh, in one centimeter. The key phrase in there is uh, of average spectral characteristics. If you ask me what is the SRM of this uh, creek, for example, I can put it in the spectrometer and I can measure the absorbance at 430 nanometers, but I can't define the SRM because the beer is not of average spectral characteristics. And we'll okay. talk yeah. about that. Well, and that's, I, th- I think that's the, the thing that uh, was made clear to me during that uh, you know BJCP project was... You know, just because something, you know, may be of a, you know, blacker or, you know, redder or, you know, that that doesn't necessarily mean that it's um, a darker SRM. It has to, SRM actually has to do with... Absorption. Absorption, right? So... Yeah, and just at that frequency. Well, John, you referenced in in your book, as I recall, a paper of Charlie's. Yeah. uh, In which he had his students look at uh, beers of the same SRM to see if the colors were the same, and they weren't. And the reason they aren't is because uh, there are deviations from uh, from the, the average spectrum. And, uh, the average uh, color beer. Yeah. Yes, I guess you could call it the average color beer. And, uh, you know, Miller and Stone, I don't think they knew what they were on to, but if you look at their paper, they have taken the absorption spectra and overlain them and uh, they all bundle up. They looked at 39 beers, but the, I think the darkest one was 7 SRM or something like that. Hmm. And they have a little test. You not only take a measurement at, at 4.30, you take uh, another measurement uh, oh, 
I got it written down here somewhere, but I can't find it. Um, 500, 600 nanometers, and you take the ratio um, of the measurement uh, 430 to the ratio at the longer wavelength, and if the ratio at the long wavelength uh, to the short wavelength is too high, they say either the beer is turbid or it's not of average spectral characteristics. So you can go filter it or centrifuge it, repeat that test, see if you still have the right spectral shape. And uh, if you do, then it has an SRM. And uh, if you don't, you really don't. Now, the, the, this little test is in the modern ASBC's method of analysis, MOA, for uh, measuring beer characteristics. So... It doesn't say in the MOA what you do if the beer does not have average spectral characteristics, but that's what the paper that Charlie was talking about uh, is all about. I see. And we'll get to that in, a, in, in just a second. Okay, the uh, next method uh, is the EBC method, which is used at European Brewing Convention, which uh, Congress, sorry. No, I think it's convention. Um, yep which is exactly the same as the ASBC method uh, because the measurement's taken in a one centimeter cubet but uh, and at 430 nanometers but the multiplier is 25 instead of 12.7 so EBC is, is just about twice the SRM and it's as simple as that now you can get confused because EBC used to take their measurements at 530 nanometers in which case they're really is no comparison. So if you find a conversion formula formula that's uh, anything other than about twice, then that's conversion from the old EBC system uh, to, uh, to SRM, and, and, and don't use that. Um, okay, we've touched a couple times here on this idea of same SRM, different color, average spectral characteristics, uh, and non-average spectral characteristics. So it's obvious, I think it's been obvious to everybody that it'd be nice to have some kind of way of calculating the color that you see rather than just some number. Because after all, how can 10.7? Yeah, kind of a multi-wavelength number or measurement rather than a single wavelength measurement. Exactly. Now, really to determine what color you're going to see, you need to know that whole spectrum. You need to know the spectrum of the light from the light source as modified and going through the beer. And you need uh, 81 measurements, space 5 nanometers apart to uh, specify color per the ASTM standard E308, which is the official way of um, ASTM, American Society for Testing and Materials. Yep. The, the, they have many, many standards for many things, and the color is just one of them. So 81 measurements taken 5 nanometers apart, processed through some, some math, and you can then calculate uh, a color in any of various color spaces, like um, RGB, red, green, blue, which is familiar to most everybody that's ever fiddled around with a computer uh, or, or modern computer. Uh, but other systems as well, such as LAB, and that's uh, that's a, a luminance and two color axes. In other words, a brightness and two different kinds of, of color. Um, and the ASBC has a new method which 
does that. Um, and obviously, it's not as, as simple to uh, to do the math as it is to do for the simple SRM measurement. But then, you know, with a spreadsheet or a calculator or even many spectrophotometers can be programmed to, to do it, to read out directly in XYZ units or RGB units or LAB units or, or uh, YCB or whatever color units you like. But there's a shortcoming in, uh, in that ASBC tristimulus method in that it only computes the color you see if you're holding the, the beer very close to your face so that it subtends 10 degrees. They call the CIE, the, the uh, uh, Commission Internationale de l'Eclairage that defines the underlying color science. Um, they call that the 10-degree observer. Well, I you know, usually don't hold the beer four inches from my face. I usually hold it <laughs> at an arm's length where it subtends more like two degrees. And the, the other observer that the CIE specifies is the two-degree observer. And, and why ASBC chose the 10-degree observer and the two-degree observer, I couldn't say, but they did. Uh, One-centimeter path. Uh, I don't usually look at my beer in a one-centimeter cuvette unless I'm about to put it in the spectrophotometer. I see I'm, I'm looking at this ale through what must be a six-centimeter path at the moment. Unfortunately, it's gotten kind of low, so. It's only about four <laughs> centimeters left in the glass. Hope we got another break coming up pretty soon so <laughs> yeah. I can run down there. <laughs> <Beer> um, <laughs> People think it's for commercials? No, it's, it's so we can get some beer. Exactly. I figured that one out. Um, so uh, let's see what else. Oh, yes, they picked uh, had to pick an aluminant, and they picked aluminant C, which is typical of a, a mix of, of daylight and, and tungsten. was actually... Uh, Picked by the magazine publishers to resemble the light that they thought the housewives would experience when they were reading the glossy ladies' magazines at the kitchen table with a light on near the window. So that's that's the, the color science behind aluminum C. <laughs> but uh, you know, it, it does it does give you a tri-stimulus color and actually visible color. I'm just not sure what value it is because you don't look at beer under those uh, circumstances. So finally, the the last method is uh, the method I call augmented SRM, which is something I came up with, uh, which is the subject of the of the paper that that Charlie mentioned. Uh, it's interesting. Last last time I was uh, in public, if you will, with Charlie, he was doing a paper on on uh, Hayes, and I was doing this paper. <laughs> so, uh, um, what the augmented SRM method does is recognize that because beers generally don't deviate that much from average spectral characteristics, that the SRM itself actually conveys a lot of color information. You would be surprised how accurately you can reproduce the absorption spectrum of a beer from just its SRM. I mean, obviously, if it's a, a lambic or something like that, it, that's, that's not going to work. So what the augmented SRM method does is take those same 81 measurements that is taken uh, for the uh, ASBC tristimulus method and encode the difference between its normalized spectrum, as represented by those 81 points, and the average normalized spectrum. And those differences can be uh, encoded by 
a couple numbers, one, two, three, four, with uh, the number of numbers required having to do with, with how strange the beer is, if you like. And uh, I won't get into the encoding method. That's what the paper is all about. You can get it from the ASBC. Uh, I'll mention it has to do with uh, principal components analysis. Uh, engineers listening or statisticians listening um, may know something about that. But it turns out it's uh, the, the computations are more complicated than basic SRM. But uh, with uh, a spreadsheet uh, or a calculator, they're very easy to do. And actually, you can get uh, the uh, a spreadsheet from my website, www.wetnewf, as in uh, wetnewfoundlanddog.org. Um, if you have spectral information, you can plop it into this spreadsheet, and boom, up comes the SRM and what I call the spectral deviation coefficients. And uh, there are instructions with it and everything, and you can figure out how to use it and, and, and what it does. So... That, in a nutshell, is what I know about how to measure beer color. Well, and that that brings up a a, a good question. Anyway, most of our listeners are, um, uh, you know, concerned about. Uh, we've got uh, a number of craft brewers out there, but uh, probably the bulk is home brewers, and you know they're they're cur- just as curious about color um, as their their craft brew counterparts. I think. Is there a an easy a simple way? I know you know you can measure the spectrophotometer, but is there an easier, cheaper way to measure beer color? Well, sure, uh, and we hope to give people another one uh, pretty soon. But um, the uh, basic way that a home brewer can do it is the method that uh, was promulgated by George Fix many years ago, and that's comparing your beer to a beer whose SRM you know. And, of course, the big shortcoming with that is where are you going to get SRM values for a particular beer? Now, George Fix had one that he thought he knew what the SRM values uh, were for. Uh, I think it was Michelob Dark or something like that. And uh, if indeed um, you have a beer and you know what its color is, you're fine, but I, before I would uh, proclaim that people can do that, I would need to, and I, this is something I've been meaning to do, is you know, I think Guinness is probably a pretty good standard. Uh, I would need to go out and, and buy Guinness this month and measure its color and then do it next month and the month after and the month after. And after you know a year of getting various batch numbers of, of Guinness, be convinced that, yeah, Guinness really is 53 SRM and tell people, okay, you can use Guinness as a standard. It's 53 SRM. seems to me Guinness would be good because it's you can get it anywhere in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I assume it's all, I think it's, it's brewed in Canada, isn't it? Um, yeah, I'm not sure. Not, yeah. not really sure either, but if it all comes out of the same plant, mm-hmm. it should all be the same color. And I, you know, I kind of doubt that with a beer that dark, they really worry uh, about the fact that this batch is 53 SRM instead of Correct. 52. Yeah. But that's why I need to, to get data over... Uh, that's why you, over you think, I, I think, uh, you know, if if you had something in the 17 SRM range, then, you know, it may be dark enough that you could do most of your measurements. Because uh, you have to have a beer that's darker than... Uh, well... Know, or no darker than... Well, no, you can... No, oh, that's true. You can, you you can, can dilute, dilute ears. ears. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. yeah. 
Although so, it probably just wouldn't work with something like Budweiser, really. Uh, no. <laughs> that, that would probably be your, your limiting factor there. So, you know, if you guys can think of a beer that, that's in about the right color range that's available to, to anybody. Um, Sierra you know, Nevada Pale Ale. No. Well, well yeah. Yeah, Sierra Nevada Porter, that's, Porter, that's pretty darn you know. available. How consistent are they? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, uh, find out. Uh, Sam Adams, uh, oh, yeah. Boston Lager. Oh, maybe. Sam Adams. There, there you go. go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll try. I'll start looking at that. Okay, so you know, given that you've got something that you know is the standard, what do you do? Um, you go back to uh, what the old guys did with the iodine. Put it in two tubes and make various dilutions until you get a match, and then the color just just scales. Uh, you know, if you uh, if you think Sam Adams is, is 20, uh, well, let's say 17, and uh, you did a one-to-one dilution uh, of the Sam Adams to match your beer, then your beer would be at, at eight and a half. Um, there's going to be some variability because of not not because they're not strictly average spectrally. I would like the beer that, that I would promulgate as a standard to be pretty close to, to spectrally average, and Guinness kind of isn't, so that makes it not too desirable a candidate. The Sam now, might be it. AJ, when you talk about you know um, uh, spectrally similar or spectrally average, uh, I get, I'm, I'm assuming that we're talking about, uh, I guess in essence, the same grain bill. You know that is the same the same material makeup of the beer versus uh, other beers, or is it? Or is it more than that? Right. Well, you could have well, a beer made from like all pale malts, you know, and enough of them, and versus a beer that's made with uh, you know some roasted barley to get you to the same kind of SRM, right? And they they're going to look different. Well, one of the most amazing things about this that that I learned was that doesn't seem to matter where the color comes from, whether it came from the malt or uh, whether it came from you know low kiln malts, medium kiln malts are the ones that were really burnt or whether the color was developed through decoction mashing or through a longer boil time the colors still all seem to be the same and an implication of that is that the coloring materials are in fixed relationships to one. I mean, there's obviously more than one coloring material in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, well, uh, hundreds. When you talk about the color, are you talking about the measured color or the visual appearance where somebody would say, oh, that's, you know, like my wife goes, well, that's Swiss coffee and that's, uh, you know, <laughs> Snowbird. You know, yeah. I'm like, yeah, they're white. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, no, I'm talking about the measured color. Uh huh. So the measured, measured color would would be the same, but visually, uh, the average beer geek would look at them and say, "Well, they look like different colors to me." If the well, grist was different, absolutely. But a beer of 50 SRM mm-hmm. and a beer of 4 SRM can have the same spectral characteristics in this sense. Because what we're doing is normalizing by the SRM value. Mm-hmm. So what we're doing is, is measuring the spectrum of the beer and dividing it by its value at 430 nanometers. So even though in, in the light beer the the uh, absorption is 0.3, 
and uh, in the much darker beer, it's seven. The normalized spectra both have a value of one at 430 nanometers. Now, what what counts is what the rest of the the tails away from 430 nanometers look like, and it's just amazing how closely they overlay one another. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea behind this augmented scheme is to quantify those relatively small uh, misalignments. Okay. Interesting. Well, and, uh, all right. So back to uh, the you know the simple way for for brewers ah, okay. to to measure um, the dilution with be- with a, a known beer, right? And then well, uh, that and and just hold them up to uh, to light. Mm-hmm. That's that's a scheme that works. Uh, and what you're and looking I, for is the color intensity. You're not looking for, you know. Well, yeah, I'm going to say color intensity. A, a lot of people will phrase that question as, "Well, you're you're just talking about lightness and darkness, right?" And the answer is no. You're really looking for color intensity uh, because of this. The fact that beers have similar average or have similar spectral characteristics close to the average means that they have similar color behaviors. Now, the darker a beer is, the redder it is. Uh, so there's definitely a color shift with SRM. So if you're comparing beers around four, you're looking for things that are similarly yellow. But if you're comparing beers around 17, you're looking for beers that are, are similarly red. So you want to get the closest color match you can. And if the beers both have identical or near identical um, normalized spectra, then they will be the same color, and, and that should not be a problem for you. However, the SRM measurement is made in the blue part of the spectrum, so I came up with this uh, idea of uh, how can we measure the amount of blue light that uh, that is coming through the beer. And it clicked on me one day that everybody has a gadget in his uh, possession these days that uh, has a blue filter in it. That's his little pocket digital camera mm. or his fancy digital SLR. So I experimented briefly, and this is something I need to get back to, with taking the standard beer and making various dilutions of it uh, so that, you know, when you look at it, you see this one's lighter than this one, this one's lighter than this one, this one's lighter than this one. Tip a light table up on the end and um, put the beer, you know, line these flasks or bottles. The best thing is if you get square bottles. Line these up in front of the light table and move the unknown around until it lies between two beers, one of which is lighter than darker. So they have a sequence going from light to dark. Well, it's not really that important that you do that. Then take a picture with your digital camera, um, put it into Photoshop or whatever you use to process pictures, pull out the blue channel, use whatever... I, I'm a Mac guy. Mac has a little tool that will tell you the color of any pixel on the screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, Photoshop lets you do that too. So... Uh, just then make a plot of all the colors, uh, uh, all the blue values as you go up in SRM. And remember, they're all labeled except for the unknown. And you, you get a surprisingly straight line, and you just interpolate off <laughs> that straight line the SRM value. Mm-hmm. And the few, few tests I did with that, that just worked 
unbelievably well. Now, you know, again, I need to get more data. Yeah, I mean, blue is blue. It's mm-hmm. not, it's hardly limiting you to 430 nanometers. But uh, I think this is something guys could experiment with. Well, of course, you, you can't really experiment with it unless you get ground truth somehow. So huh. people, those there are guys out there in the hobby that uh, you know, work in a lab or go to college and have access to a spec. Uh, I wish some of them would join me in, in, in checking this out. And then finally, uh, they now make 430 nanometer LEDs. Uh, which would sell for a sixty cents a piece, mm-hmm. and they also make these nifty little uh, chips that uh, take uh, measure light intensity and convert them to a frequency. And uh, seems to me you ought to be able to put together a little uh, block of plastic with one of these LEDs in one end, a hole for a cuvette mm-hmm. in in uh, the middle and one of these uh, receptors and hook them up to a microprocessor and have a simple little photometer that uh, measures uh, uh, light attenuation at 430 nanometers. How would you calibrate it? Well, either with a beer of known SRM, mm-hmm. but in this case, actually, an inexpensive neutral density filter will serve as well. Mm-hmm. And I've actually done that uh, in a, like a breadboard level. And I got a guy who's a microprocessor whiz, and he he thinks he's got that going. So it's a matter of us getting some time to, to try to see if we can put this little box together for you know under a hundred dollars. That would would be the goal. Mm-hmm. There's a catch. It really works better if you have a good 530 nanometer filter in there, and those things are expensive. Mm. So that's uh, we're hoping someday we might uh, you know you might be selling those in the store. Cool. All right, I'd get one. <laughs> but don't hold your breath. <laughs> well, when you get those prototypes, you need somebody to test them out. Uh, you know, hey. John and I are here for you. All right. All right. And we're not just begging for free stuff. All right. <laughs> let, let's take a short break, and when we come back, let's get back into uh, color and how you control it uh, in the brew house. Back after this. Your carboy cap on. This is Bruce Strong. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Push from the Brewing Network, and I want to tell you about the Brewmaster's Warehouse and how you can get 10% off your next order. I'm a pretty techie guy, but I've never seen an online store like this. It's awesome. Go to brewmasterswarehouse.com and click on Brew Builder. You can whip up a custom recipe so easily even Sven could do it. Seriously, it's slick. You can share your recipe with your own logo and notes to the Brewmaster's database if you want. And the best part, it keeps a running tally of the beer you're building while you're doing it. Then, bam, click Buy Recipe, and your cart is filled and ready to go with helpful suggestions in case you forgot something. This thing is amazing. Brewmaster's Warehouse is run the way a home brewer would do it, with great service, fast turnaround, and $6.99 flat rate shipping. Brewmaster's Warehouse and the Brew Builder blew me away. Check it out today at brewmasterswarehouse.com. I'm serious. And don't forget to put BN Army in the discount code box for 10% off your order. Check out brewmasterswarehouse.com. Cheers. 
European Army members. Are you looking for a discount on hops? Keep listening. Nico's Homebrew Supply at nicobrew.com has hops by the ounce and by the pound. Choose from varieties like Amarillo, Centennial, East Kent Goldings, Hollertower, Simcoe, Summit, Tomahawk, Warrior, Willamette, and more. And adding new varieties all the time, many for less than 20 bucks a pound. Whether a couple ounces at a time or an 11-pound bag, all hops are shipped vacuum-sealed and frozen straight to you. Nico's Homebrew Supply offers store-wide $5 flat-rate shipping and won't waste your money on unnecessary overhead or advertising. They're going bare bones and passing the savings on to you. The staff at Nico's Homebrew Supply loves to brew and is committed to keeping homebrewing affordable and accessible to anyone who wants to join in this great hobby. And for a limited time, use coupon code BNARMY at checkout for a Brewing Network discount. Visit NicoBrew.com. That's N-I-K-O Brew.com for your hops and more. NicoBrew.com, your bare bones buddy in the brewing business. Hey, what are you doing, man? Writing a review of WLP 400. What? You're reviewing yeast? Yeah. White Labs has home brewer reviews of all their strains. Are you new to these interwebs? Check it out. That's awesome. White Labs, your source for great yeast, invites all brewers to visit whitelabs.com to read and write your own reviews of all their yeast strains. Get real-world tips and tricks from other brewers who have made the most of their vials and post your own experiences. It's another way White Labs brings you closer to the best yeast on the planet. And send. There you go. You misspelled flocculate, dude. What? Ah. Uh, White Labs. It's all in the vial. You're listening to the Brewing Network. Back to your hosts, Jamil Zanashef and John Palmer. Putting the testicles in technical. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. We're speaking with AJ Delang, and uh, you know AJ, John, and I are both during the break going. All right, we're following along a little bit. <laughs> we understand some of it. I Uh-oh. definitely understand now what Palmer is, was saying. This is that AJ is his go-to guy, right? Well, and this, you know, it's such a complex subject. It's not. There's no simple answer. It's not. Well, it's black or it's white. There. <laughs> this is a, a, a tricky thing to really understand and measure, and there's there's we a lot of science it. for a reason. Yeah, there's and, <laughs> well. it, and it's not just and the the difficulty comes in not just measuring it, but you know what that means to us as people and and how exactly. we view it and and you know, uh, how, you know you guys doubtless have some appreciation for how large a science color science is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yep. I got the. You know the, the the basic volume here is uh, you know kind of the classic Wizeskian styles, nine hundred and fifty pages, and they don't even mention beer. They mention beer's law, but they don't mention beer. Mm. And, and and you know all all that's gone into uh, giving us the, the displays we have for computers and high def TVs now, mm-hmm. and the schemes for compression of the data, so you can uh, you know send a high def picture over the internet or or over the air, it's just uh, it's amazing. It's an interesting marriage of engineering and psychology. So, uh, well, I I would bet you your perception of color changes based on your mood, even. You know, when oh, you mention sure psychology, you know, I'm sure it all, 
all these uh, color spaces we we talk about, mm-hmm. um, they're based on on what the CIE called the standard observer, mm-hmm. and you know he's an average, <laughs> just like these uh, spectral characteristics are average. This average observer, the the two degree observer, was measured in 1931 uh, or 34, but you know a long time ago. Have we evolved since then? Don't know. You know, how much variation is there between people? Um, you know, I'm colorblind, so that's, that's obviously, uh, that makes you a deviant observer. Well, yeah, and and one of many ways, actually. (laughs) But, uh, my wife, for example, uh, does not see, uh, blue to the extent that other people do Mm -hmm. because I can, you know, show her a Photoshop picture and say, how's that look? And she says, oh, that looks yellow. So, all right, let me push the blue slider. And how's that look now? You know, oh, that looks fine. And there's an appreciable amount of extra blue. You know, she's not colorblind, mm-hmm. but she's not a standard observer. And mm-hmm. not standard in many other ways, too. She lives with a deviant. <laughs> <laughs> Colors are perception. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And I think you probably all know about accommodation, that... Uh, if you look at um, a picture of the American flag uh, and stare at it for a few minutes, you might have seen this in a psychology book, and then stare at a, a, a blank sheet of paper, instead of seeing a red, white, and blue flag, you'll see uh, a gray, yellow, and mm-hmm. uh, cyan flag. Mm-hmm. So, you know, well, you know, it's exactly the same as taste. You get palate fatigue, you right. get uh, right. eye fatigue uh, as well. Mm-hmm. Hmm. God, it, it is one complex subject. All right, what what more do we need to understand before we can get into uh, you know how you control color in the brew house? Oh, I think we're about ready to uh, to talk about that. Okay, I made a list of points here. Um, we talked about how to measure it, how it's defined, what average spectrum is, a little bit of the history. Um, yeah, okay, we can. I think we can talk about. Uh, how to control it, which is about like controlling haze, mm-hmm. I think we'll find. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, what are the factors? Obviously, grain bill. And you're saying the actual measured color, uh, it doesn't matter how you get to it, whether it's highly kilned or, or uh, you know, lower kiln malts, um, you know, the measured color is the measured color. Although the, um, the hue perceived... Uh, you know, appearance would be different for uh, the different beers. Well, that that's true. Now, remember that a lot of things can change the perceived hue. And one of the first we mentioned was how wide the glass you look at the beer uh, is. Uh, mm-hmm. um, Lighting. Yeah. You know, all and and the light quality. Mm-hmm. So remember, light source, well, right? beer is ultimately red because it absorbs blue light and uh, does not absorb red light very much. So um, really, however you got the color, there is a correlation between the uh, strong coloration between the SRM and the actual hue. And that goes back to this idea that uh, all beer spectra are more or less the same so that SRM actually conveys a lot of color information. Okay. Um, so that, sorry, go no, ahead. Go ahead, Jay. Go ahead. Uh, uh, so when you go to 
design, you know, I'm, I'm sure this is of great interest to the listeners. How do I design a beer for 26 SRM? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I got to say, John, I think your book has got probably one of the most concise, uh, oh. <laughs> uh, thorough treatments of that, that I've seen a lot of, a lot of stuff in the home brewing literature on that. And I think you just cover the ground at about the right level. And, uh, thank you. Yeah, well, absolutely deserved. And I think your conclusions are that you know, if you can get within 20%, you're doing well. Yeah. Uh, I think that's, that's the bottom line there. Because if you look at all the uncertainties, and you, you mentioned uh, a lot of them, there are, are many. Um, you know, knowing, knowing that we'd be talking about this, uh, I paid some uh, attention to color in the last uh, beer I brewed, which I usually don't do simply because I sort of feel it's going to turn out where it turns out. I know generally that my pills are going to be between four and seven and, and so on and, and leave it at that. Um, but I paid attention this time. So uh, first thing I do is, is look at the malt bag. Um, well, first thing I do is go to Wireman's website, uh, not Wireman in this case. It was crisp. Huh. And look at malt you know, specs, what are they, no, it wasn't crispy, that doesn't matter, so let's talk about Wireman, you know, they list their uh, <laughs> Pilsner malt as between two and four EBC units, well, that's fine, but that's like a 50% uncertainty, I used some uh, crystal malt, it's at uh, 130 to 170 Lovabond, um, that's quite a range there. Yeah. I don't know what conversion from Love of Bond to uh, SRM I should be using. Uh, and uh, that's just one of, of many other variables, like how much color gets developed in the boil. Um, certainly a, a two-hour boil will develop a lot more color than a one-hour boil. I, I went to... Uh, thing over in Belgium a couple of years back called the pH paradox where they discussed um, all aspects of, of pH in, in brewing and uh, they talked about the relationship of uh, pH on the amount of color developed and, and the slide mm-hmm. that uh, that discussed that mentioned that two-thirds of the color are developed in the mash tun and the kettle and one-third in uh, at the maltings and I'm not sure I believe the ratios are really that extreme, but certainly a lot of color. Yeah, I mean, you, you guys yeah. do decoction mashing, right? How do you tell your decoction is thoroughly mixed? The dark stuff you pump back in is, uh, you know, thoroughly blended with the light stuff that, that uh, was left behind in, in the rest mash. So, you know, certainly heat develops color. Yeah. Uh, pH has an effect on it. Uh, Charlie mentioned uh, Oxidized polyphenols, or oxygen uh, has effect on it. And uh, uh, let, me, let me interrupt you here a moment. You know, sure. um, uh, Colin Kaminsky, at Downtown Joe's. He he heard you were going to be on the uh, on the show, and he he wanted to be here to ask a question, but uh, wasn't able to. And so he wanted me to make sure, since you're mentioning uh, the pH affecting uh, color, he wants to know uh, how does mash pH and boil pH affect color? For example. At a mash pH of 5.2 versus 5.4, he says he can see a definite color difference in his beer. And, and, and what's, what exactly is the process that's causing this to happen, and what can he expect? 
Well, I would be hard-pressed to describe the process. I'll give you a theory in a minute. Mm -hmm. But uh, as for uh, quantitative data, um, if he has uh, de Klerk, page um, 309 of uh, volume 1, has some data, which actually uh, apparently was uh, cooked up by Windisch and Kolbeck. You remember Bob Kolbeck, John? Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> He'll tell you about that. Yeah, when, brother of Paulus, I mean, yes. Yeah. Um, uh, without going through this whole table here, let's see. Uh, pH before boiling of 6.28 um, showed an increase in color during the boil of 0.32 iodine units. So that would be about 3.2 SRM. And if the pH was as low as 5.16, uh, it was only uh, half that, so about mm. one and a half SRM. Um, it appears from this data that it's the hop tannins, in this case, that, that have a fair amount to do with it, because if you don't have hops in there, there is additional color development, which is a function of pH, um, but it's uh, appreciably less. Now, as to what the mechanism might be, uh, and I'm wildly speculating here. Do you ever notice what happens when you put lemon in tea? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it bleaches. Right. And I think uh, you know, if you look at equations for oxidation reduction potential, you'll find that uh, the ORP is, uh, depends on the pH at which the reaction takes place. And that's because so many of these organic oxidation reductions, the the, the electrons come from uh, hydrogen ion, and uh, you'll you'll see it written as uh, uh, oxidized state plus a hydrogen ion plus Mm -hmm. an electron equals reduced state. Mm -hmm. So I think it's that dependence of, of, uh, I think it's the, the presence of the hydrogen ion itself that's causing the reductions. Too bad Charlie isn't here. He uh, is still there. He could probably mm-hmm. give you a better answer to that than I can. But, uh, you know, moved by that, I tried a couple little experiments myself this morning, and I found similar things that uh, if I took, a, you know, finished beer and uh, added some acid to it, if I took this uh, 20, uh, 22... Um, SRM beer and put enough hydrochloric acid in it to drop the pH to uh, to 3.5 and it's probably uh, I got in right down what it is it must be about 3.8 it's an ale um, then I got a, a loss in color of about a unit and if I wow. got more extreme um, it, it would uh, would drop uh, another unit or so so huh. um, that's it's it's I think something you can count on. Right, right. Now, on the other hand, I went back and looked at some data on, uh, on brews that I'd done for comparisons and trying to do two ales exactly the same for a class mm-hmm. and found the converse to be true, that the beer that read lower pH in uh, throughout the brewing process and the mash time and the boil and the finished mm-hmm. beer actually had more color. Right. Well, you know, there's so many factors involved. That's one of the things that, for me, everything relates back to yeast. So, so you know, uh, you know, your your yeast pitching rate uh, uh, and yeast growth, you know, that that's going to affect the amount of color as well. 
Um, well, you know, absolutely. Just, and another piece of uh, anecdotal information for you there is uh, I got in some discussion with somebody on the forum. It's some question about color, so I went and measured the beer, which was handiest, which was what happened to be in the, f- the fermenter. It was at Vienna. And, uh, you know, put it in a centrifuge tube and spun the yeast out and measured it, and it came in at 15. So I said, well, you know, this particular beer with this particular blend of malts came out at 15, and I think the point had something to do with what the the nature of the high-kiln malts was. And I uh, kind of forgot about that until the beer was uh, out of the fermenter and well lagered and ready for analysis, and I measured it, and it was at 11. Mm-hmm. So those yeast took out four units of color. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, sometimes what you find at the bottom of the ton is... Uh, is, is the yeast are kind of dark. Mm-hmm. They're grabbing that stuff and hauling it out. Right. So, you know, I, I guess we're emphasizing this idea of variability, variability with pH, mm-hmm. what the yeast carry out, the amount of uh, uh, whether you do triple decoction or single infusion, whether you do uh, uh, one-hour boil or two-hour boil. All mm-hmm. these things have an effect on color, and not to mention the composition of the of the grist, of course, and the water. So, essentially, we're saying we, we have no idea. <laughs> well, I think it, you know, it's not that bad. It's that Maori curve that, that mm-hmm. you uh, have in your book, that's a pretty good fit. Uh-huh. Well, now, uh, all right, so let's say, you know, we're able to, to kind of target in our grist to give us, you know, a certain color, but we're not getting what what we expect you know beers turning out uh, with less color intensity more um what uh you know what what sort of things should somebody look for you know uh oxidation uh you know what how boy this is a difficult subject how let's put it this way if um if i came to you and said aj uh you know, I, I'm using the exact same grist, but my beer is turning out too dark. You know, what what's the kind of troubleshooting you'd go through? Well, uh, if you, I, I guess the first thing I would do is say, same lot numbers for the malts. And uh, if you said no, I'd say, well, what does it say on the package? Is mm-hmm. there a, a range of variability on the package there? That might be it. Right. Um, did you boil longer? than uh, you usually do. Was the kettle pH higher than uh, it usually is? Um, Did you uh, pitch less than you usually do? Uh, Did you treat your water the same way? Those Mm -hmm. those would be the things I'd think of. Um, Did you splash the wort more than you intended? Yeah, oxygen, oxidation. Oxidation, it definitely makes it darker. You pick up a, and that'll do. Uh, Well, now, uh, all right, so let me me devil's advocate here. On the grain, uh, the variability of the grain. Now, certainly there's color variations, but don't those maltsters try and hold it, you know, as tight as possible in a range. I mean, they list a wide range, but don't they try and get sorted in the same range so their customers, uh, which are really commercial brewers, uh, end up with the same beer? I'm guessing that probably only to a limited extent. I'm uh-huh. guessing that they, uh, you know, kiln uh, the crystal uh, under a certain temperature program uh, that they've developed over experience. 
and I'm guessing that with each lot of malt they buy, they will probably do a measurement or two, and uh, just to see if they're outside of that range that they're specifying. And if they could control it to a tighter range, I would think they would specify a tighter range. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine certainly that a large brewery is going to measure the color themselves. Um, but uh, you know, a home brewer is not going to do a Congress mash and take a spectrophotometric measurement for each malt he uses. Oh which is, uh, no, no! We know there's home brewers out there doing that. <laughs> <laughs> well, how about you? But, I mean, come on. <laughs> no, I don't do that. <laughs> you know, a Congress mash lately. Is a bit of- yeah. It is a bit of a pain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, if I'm using five malts in a beer, I don't want to do a Congress right, mash right, on right. each of five malts. Uh, I, I guarantee you there's somebody out there doing it. <laughs> well, you're probably right. <laughs> and that, you know, that's the way to do it. Um, use, uh, use your experience. Um, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. It, you remember the large brewery does the same thing the same way day after day after day after day after day. Right. And, and they know their materials. You know, they probably just look at a load of malt and say, gee, this visually it looks a little darker than, than it usually does. Uh-huh. Maybe we better do the test mash on this one. Right, right. And, of course, they do. They handle the wort the same, and the beer the okay. same way every time, so they don't get the variability in there that the home brewers do. All right. Uh, c- continuing my devil's advocate here now, on boil time, uh, was it uh, Chris Colby at BYO? Didn't they have a... Uh, to uh, do some sort of article on uh, boil time where they, you know, boiled uh, some, you know, all Pilsner malt for 60 minutes and then boiled another one for like, uh, you know, uh, 120 or 180 and then compared the, you know, what they looked like and found like very little difference or something like that? Uh, I, I'm not aware of that article. I'm, yeah. I'm a little surprised if they found very little difference. Well, and um, I wonder. I wonder how much color development you do get from a boil. Well, uh, is that quantified anywhere? Depends no. On, well, uh, depends on the well, boil. Sure it, depends sure on the equipment. <laughs> yeah. Depends on the grist. Uh, yeah. yeah. Depends on the nope. the gravity, the work gravity. Depends on a lot of things, huh? Absolutely. Uh, it depends on how you fire the kettle, for example. Uh-huh. Um, you know, the part. I think the color comes from three things, oxidized polyphenols, uh, melanoidins, which are these complex amino acid sugar compounds, and uh, caramelization, which is just, uh, you know, burning of sugar. And I think you're going to have a lot darker beer if you're gas-fired than if you're steam-fired, for Mm -hmm. example, because I think you get more caramelization. Okay. All right, so uh, you know your heating method that can make it, be making your beer uh, darker. Um, now, what about uh, if, if I came to you and said, you know, I'm I'm not getting nearly as much color. Obviously, you know, the same series of things. Although you probably wouldn't worry about what oxidation. You wouldn't worry about what. Well, so you're saying that the beer color came out lighter than anticipated, right? Oh, you've been making this beer time and time again. Now it's come out lighter. The the malt seem it's the same sack of malt you used before. You know why is it coming out lighter? I'm trying um, to get yeah. you know the the p- typical things that uh, somebody might. Uh, I think that's a lot less likely than too <laughs> yeah. much color. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. I would it's almost kind of like the over pitching, under pitching. Yeah. The yeast pitching rates. Um, I'd have to point to boil intensity. 
Well, maybe you know, boil maybe intensity. Maybe a windy day. Yeah, or uh, a poor extraction, perhaps. Uh-huh. Yeah. Poor extraction? Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's very easy to fix. Right. You use more use more dark malt, boil <laughs> longer. Um, I mean, those are the, the two uh, obvious ones. Well, what what about uh, dilution? Um, you know, a lot oh, of yeah. times uh, people... You know, they. You know, it's a humid day. It's a windy day. It's a dry day. It's a cold day. It's a hot day. All that's going to affect, and they don't measure precisely the volumes that they're working. Uh, that's with. tough to do. Yeah, certainly. If you're typically boil off five gallons, and you only boiled off two, mm-hmm. so that that beer is going to be lighter in color. Mm-hmm. So that's, but, that's, uh, that's probably a big factor right there. Oh, I'm sure it is. Yeah. I'm sure it is. Not only because I think. Uh, of, you know the concentration of the coloring things, but I think the more concentrated the solutions, the uh, the more likely the darkening reactions are to take place. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, and you know the question I get all the time, right? And I don't know if you know the answer to this one, but how do you make a red beer? What's the most red way to make a a, a red appearance beer? Uh, get a lot of color in there. Um, they, uh, yeah, I see that one a lot too, and uh, I kind of chuckle at it because all beer is red. red. Like you said earlier, it's uh... so if you want to make it redder, make it dark. I always tell people take a glass of stout, get a stout, your stout, anybody's stout, mm-hmm. and shine a flashlight through it. It's red. That's yeah. the deepest, purest red you'll ever see Mm -hmm. uh if you want your beer to be redder um you do uh you do that now they don't that's not what they mean of course what they mean is something that really Mm -hmm. uh, my christmas ale i wanted to match santa's costume or something of that sort right right. the only way to do that that i know of is with cherry juice i mean you know Uh creeks are and framboises are really really red um you know, in, in, in terms of this work I do with the uh, spectral deviation, I'd say you need to put stuff in there to get yourself a positive first spectral deviation coefficient. Because what that coefficient does is uh, it's, it's a measure of, of redness. Actually, it's a measure of creakness. The only reason uh, you know, I typically uh, typically find that a beer like uh, a Budweiser is a a minus point nine, and that's saying Budweiser does not look anything like a creek. And a Miller Lite is minus point six, and again, that's saying that doesn't look anything like a creek. And a Qingdao is minus point four, and that says that doesn't look like a creek. But uh, Purple Haze Raspberry Weed is a plus one point one six, and Lindemann's Creek is a plus one point seven eight. So, I think the answer to the question, how do you get it to appear red, is put fruit juice in it. <laughs> Otherwise, just make it darker, right. and All if you make it darker, uh-huh. it will become become redder. And I think what they yeah. really want to do is get it dark enough that it doesn't look black. You know, mm-hmm. light enough that you can still see color. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the more color they can, the higher the SRM they can get it, still see color. The redder it's going to look. No, I think the the government's cutting cutting you off here. Uh, you've, you've revealed too many secrets. 
<laughs> a little audio problem there, but yeah. l- oh, let's let's okay. do this. Let's. Uh, can you stick with us a, a, f- a few more minutes? I know we're sure. we're like an hour past when we said we would keep you busy. Uh, no problem. I got beer. Okay, great. Uh, let's take a short break. When we come back, uh, we got some questions from the chat room for you. Okay. Back after this. Smart. Brew Strong. This is Brew Strong. Hey, Push, the new brewery's looking good. Thanks, Finn. Piece by piece. Well, let's fire her up. Whoa! Is that a new kettle? Yeah, just got it brand new, but paid half price. What? And that blade scale? 40% off. The new tap handle? Five bucks instead of 13. Got a new regulator for the brew stand, too, but five bucks instead of 25. Dude, where are you stealing all this stuff from? Where else? The more beer deal of the day. Announcing the Beer, Beer, and More Beer Deal of the Day. Every day, a new fantastic deal from big items to small that will blow you away. Boil kettles, carboy carriers, sterile siphon starters, digital timers. Watch morebeer.com every day for a new deal, and you just might find the item you've been waiting for at a price you cannot believe. Hurry, because stock is limited on most items. And that sweet Guinness cap, let me guess. The The More more Beer beer Deal deal of the day. Day. Yeah, I knew it. Come on, let's brew something. Find the more beer deal of the day at morebeer.com. Celebrity voices impersonated. Nico, listen, our lawyers said that we had to do this for one hour, and after this, we don't have to talk to each other for three more months at the, the next meeting. Kids. Come on, let's get out of here. I'm supposed to have more lines, so I'm the professional. <clears throat> hey, it's Sully. And I'm Nico. And we opened the 21st Amendment nine years ago at 563 2nd Street in San Francisco, just two blocks from Giants Park to make great beer and have a great time doing it. That's right, because to us, the 21st Amendment is more than just the right to make beer. It's the right to experiment, to be innovative, and just do things differently. And so now, we're putting our craft beer in cans. That's right, cans. You can find our world-famous Heller High Watermelon Wheat Beer and Brew Free or Die IPA throughout California and Alaska. And now, it's also available on draft at select accounts in the Bay Area. So next time you're at your local neighborhood pub or good beer store, be sure to ask for 21st Amendment in cans. Because everyone likes it in the can. Tasty crack cans. Tasty crack cans. This is Sit down next to it, grab yourself a paper towel, and watch those yeast have sex. You're listening to the Brewer Network. Back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys. Brew strong. All right, we're back with AJ DeLang talking beer color. And, uh,. I think I think you you know you killed Justin. He wasn't able to. You know, made his head explode. You're dying over here, AJ. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've changed your name in the chat to AJ the Brain Delang, mostly oh. because <laughs> you've turned mine to mush. Uh, well, as I'm getting older, mine's turned to mush too. So. <laughs> Welcome to the club. All right, good. 
All right, so uh, as you know, uh, you know these shows are done live, and uh, there's a chat room you can go to and participate in, and, you know, discuss, you know, what we're talking about with uh, like-minded individuals, and uh, ask questions, and we'll answer them right here on the show. So, uh, what do we got from the chat room today, Justin? All right, a few good questions came through. Karev is still in the chat, been hanging out with us today. And he wants to know, uh, should all maltsters now be using the new EBC scale that you've talked about? That's his first part of his question. So uh, as far as I'm concerned, hell yes. Yeah. I, I, better yet, they can use SRM as far as I'm concerned. So instead of measuring at, what, 530 nanometers, they're measuring at 430, or, right? Well, no, they're not, they're not measuring at, uh, at 430, at 530 anymore. EBC right. is, is now... 430, same as SRM. Right, right. It's the old Lovabond system, which I'm not sure exactly how it maps into uh, into the modern system, mm. modern systems. And as I mentioned earlier, because the current Lovabond tintometers are really photometers now, um, I suspect that these guys that are still publishing Lovabond numbers for their malts are doing so because back in the lab there's this old instrument that, that the guy that founded the brewery bought <laughs> that still uses the Lovabond glasses. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, if they're using a modern instrument and translating to Lovabond, then they should at least give an EBC or SRM number as well because the instrument's capable of calculating it. Mm-hmm. And by the way, some do. Mm-hmm. Some will give a Lovabond number and an EBC number. Okay, so if you see an EBC number, you pretty much trust that or SRM number. If yep. uh, if it's if it's in Lovabond, Lovabond's the one that uh, is really kind of so antiquated and uh, and you know right. you, you got to take it with a grain of salt. Yeah, I just you know you for low colors, I'd uh, just assume SRM and uh, EBC are about the same. Uh, for the high colors, I'd take Wireman at their word and uh, divide the Lovabond number by 1.3 or 1.4 hmm. and go with that. Interesting. AJ, I mean, is the, is the, is the method that uh, brewers use to measure color, is that, do you see that changing in the future any t- anytime soon? I mean, well, I'm trying to push this augmented SRM thing. <laughs> but uh, haven't had much luck. I set the ASBC, a, a straw man um, uh, method of analysis, MLA they call them. Uh-huh. They have published A, B, and C, and I sent them a straw man D. And uh, you know, it's, it reads almost exactly like the tristimulus method that they currently use. Uh, my spies tell me that he doesn't think that um, that they, you know, I mean, this. If you read this paper, your head really will will go to mush. You know, all these eigenvalues, <laughs> you know, all that stuff is it's not it's not trivial to explain it. But Charlie made me put all that stuff in there. He's the editor. Yeah. Well, I think you mentioned that when you gave yeah, us. Uh, yeah. Um, so I put it all in there, and uh, you know, it's one of those things that's very simple to do, but a little difficult to understand. Now, Charlie's got a resilient brain. I think that's uh, the reason why he was able to, to put up with that. <laughs> okay, the second question from Karev um, is he, he wants to know, in ProMash, what's the difference in using the Rager, Mori, or Daniels formula settings? Slightly different answers. Uh, I, I find the Mori scheme the most appealing. Uh, 
simply because it seems to fit the data better. Now, I don't have the same coefficients and, and exponent as he does, but uh, you know, it does allow for the fact that uh, that you're not, well, what am I trying to say? The way I do it, as I say, Congress mash is a ratio of nine to one, mm-hmm. uh, nine, nine grams of water per gram of malt. Um, so if you take the SRM reading or which or, or Lovabond reading or EBC reading, uh, you assume that that is proportional to the amount of coloring material in the malt. So you take the number they publish and divide by one-ninth um, or multiply by nine, same thing. And then you multiply by your grain weight to uh, total mash weight ratio. And that gives you an idea of what the coloring depth would be if you had 100% utilization. Then you put that exponent on there to uh, to account for these uh, losses and gains in color. And uh, you do just exactly what Maury did. He got a set of data and found the exponent that fit best. And that's, that's what a, a good junior scientist does. Uh, the problem is that you want to do that for your data set, not Ray Daniels, which I think is, is what Maury did. Um, but, you know, unless you have a, a means of measuring SRM uh, yourself, uh, that's hard to do. So you go with the Maury method. You know, the Maury method at least goes through zero at, uh, if you put no coloring material in there, and the other two are, are, are straight fits, as I recall. Yeah, they're linear uh, fits. I got I got the book right here someplace. You can probably tell me what page it's on, John. <laughs> Actually, I can't. It's in the back. That's all in the back. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. The, the Mo- there's Mosher, Daniels, and Maury uh, quoted in there, and uh, Mosher and Daniels are are linear fits to the data, and I believe I believe yeah, Daniels goes goes crosses the uh, y-axis at seven. And uh, Dan or eight, and Mosher maybe. goes down at I think five. Yeah, I'd say maybe eight for Daniels, but okay. uh, I would think you'd remember the page number if you can remember that. <laughs> <laughs> Two seventy one. Okay. Well, and I'd always say that uh, you know just pick a formula, stick with it, and you know get to learn what the results are based on your brewing practices, wh- what the beer looks like, and you know, just have that in mind. So Absolutely. if it says 40, you know what 40 looks like. And you, you, if you know you want it darker or lighter, then you know, you know, you you want it darker or lighter. And so, you know, same thing with IBU, same thing with all that. Just, you know, pick one and brew a whole bunch and stay with one of them. <laughs> if, you, yeah. if you jump formulas, you're just, you're starting over. You're chasing your own tail. Yep. yep. All right, another question for the brain. Uh, Bike Foolery's hanging out in the chat room, and, and he wants to know, does beer cloudiness throw these measurements off, like measuring a Belgian wit or a super-hopped IPA? Absolutely. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll read the first part of the ASBC definition of color. Beer color intensity on a sample free of ter- turbidity and having the spectral characteristics of an average beer. So... Yes, uh, this was like over an hour ago, but I mentioned 
that you uh, take measurements not only at uh, 430 nanometers but at 700 nanometers and the measurement at 700 nanometers if it's not less than 0.039 times the measurement at 430 then you have a problem either a spectral characteristics problem or a turbidity problem and uh, both uh, the EBC and the ASBC pre uh, protocols in this case require you to uh, to filter the beer or centrifuge it. Uh, EBC specifies turbidity directly as a less than one. Well, I don't even know if I can say this word. Nephelometric. I said it once. Nephelometric tur turbidity unit. Um, then then you you have to filter it. So yes, it has to be clear um, because. Uh, Remember, well, if the questioner was uh, on board when, when Charlie was there, he mentioned that uh, turbidity scatters light, and light that gets scattered doesn't reach the detector in the, in the photometer, so the beer will uh, measure will darker. Read higher. Yeah. yeah, measure darker. All right. And one last question from the chat. Wood's hanging out with us. He's got a question about Cinemar. Wants to brew a black IPA. He wants uh -huh. to know. How much Cinnamar uh, would I need to add to a six-gallon batch that's about 50% Maris Otter and 50% Pills, uh, plus some <laughs> dextrin to get beyond the 24 SRM, he says. So he, he knows it's going to, Jamil, if this helps you too, uh, he knows it's going to be about a 1076 beer and about 80 IBUs. Yeah, you know, I calculated this out at one point. Yeah. And, um, well, then you better answer the question. It's, it's <laughs> in, uh, uh, in my BYO uh, Shorts Beer article. Okay. So if you if you're subscribed to BYO and mm -hmm. you can get a subscription through the Brewing Network, uh, go to the site. There's a banner ad. Click on that, and then like half the subscription price goes to the BYO yeah, or VN. Yeah. yeah, yeah, fifty fifty. <laughs> uh, so it's a good way to subscribe and support the the BN at the same time. It's a great magazine. Um, I did a short beer article in there, and I can't even remember what the numbers were. It, it was like um, you know an ounce in. You know, five gallons gives you like five SRM or something, or six SRM. It, you know, I can uh, I can post in the forum if somebody will remind me uh, via email or something. Uh, but I worked it out, and I I have the, uh, the actual numbers. Or you might go to uh, like a Vireman site, and uh, you know, yeah, they have a lot of information. If, yeah, if you if you've got the ability to do math, and you know what, like. You know, if you can convert, from, so I could know, just ask you. Leaders. Yeah, yeah, uh, you can do it yourself, yeah. or you know, email me, and I'll 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 post it somewhere on the forum. That'll, uh, that'll be another app we can develop, Jamil. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I think this may be a question like, how much lactic acid should I add to uh, make a wit beer taste right? Uh, I think what I'm getting at is maybe <laughs> experimentation. Right. Just start uh, adding it, and when it when it looks right, there you are. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, that was it from the chat today. But uh, in reading their comments, AJ, you, you blew everybody away. This is a complex topic. Fantastic. Well, it is. It is. It's kept me occupied in my retirement. That's good. <laughs> Keep you from going crazy, then. Uh, it keeps my wife from going crazy. <laughs> well, every deviant needs a, needs a hobby. Yeah, I know. Right. This is true. This is true. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Hey, you uh, my great pleasure. Yeah. Anytime. Well, we'll be calling on you again. You yeah. you do more than just uh, color calculation, so uh, we know we can uh, leverage your your uh, 
brain power to make the show better. So we'll, we'll do. be doing that. Hey, and AJ, I think it's it's really cool and speaks to your character that when when you say the reason you got into color is because you're you're colorblind. It goes to tell what kind of guy <laughs> he is. He wants to figure that stuff out that that, that affects him that bothers him. You know, yeah. I think that's yeah. a really cool place to start uh, your studies. <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> if it works for Dalton, it works for me. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, another fine show in the books, John. Yeah. And uh, some of the best. I think uh, we're, uh, you know, bringing it strong with uh, with these fine guests. And if you like this uh, sort of programming, make sure to support our sponsor, More Beer. Go to morebeer.com and uh, check out all the goodies they have to offer. They got all sorts of things. And uh, the More Beer Deal of the Day. More Beer Deal of the Day. That's a great thing, too. You can get stuff uh, cheap on the. Mm-hmm. And you can pick up. Uh, a lot of good stuff from uh, real good people there. They they really uh, yep. do support the hobby. Uh, fantastic. Uh, and another way to support us is to go to the Brewing Network store, pick up a shirt, a Brew Strong shirt. I love them. I wear them all the time. Me too. John wears them all the time. And uh, you know, pick up some books, uh, glassware, whatever. Uh, it all goes to support the Brewing Network. And uh, if you get a chance, you should go out and brew yourself a beer. Brew some beer for other people. Yep. And most importantly, Bruce Strong. Bruce Strong, everybody. 